Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Tonight, go three places with me. Go to Ephesians 4, Exodus 20, Job chapter 3. Now, I've preached probably more from the book of Job in the last four or five years than any book in the Bible. Uh, usually the first time in a church if I preach on the book of Job, it's the brokenness of Job. Uh, tonight, I will cover a little bit of that because I have preached it here. But I want to I use the book of Job as an illustration for just a truth that I want to try to impress you with tonight. And the truth of it is really found in Ephesians chapter number 4. And then we'll go to Exodus 20. And then we'll use Job for the illustration. But in Ephesians chapter 4, and we begin in verse number 11, Ephesians 4:11. And after the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven, and then he began to give men gifts back on the earth, and they are men with gifts that he gave to the church and continues to give them to the church. And he categorized them like this, Ephesians 4:11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now let me ask you a question tonight, and then I will answer it for you before the service is over. Why am I preaching to you tonight? Now I'm not here because I didn't have anywhere else to go. I'm not in demand, I'm not saying that. But I am not here just to fill in a Sunday night. I'm not here to get a love offering. I'm not here to whatever. I'm not, when I come to this pulpit, I'm here for a purpose. Every time any preacher comes to this platform, he is here for a purpose. What is that purpose? If we don't preach with a purpose, we're not going to fulfill the purpose. Every time Pastor Thompson comes to this pulpit, opens the Bible, and preaches the Word of God, it is with a purpose. What's the purpose? What's the goal? What's the aim? Well, through the years, there will be different uh, ideas, different philosophies, a different emphasis placed on ministries. And, and if there's enough uh, nationally known preachers and ministries that start doing that, every church in the country will start doing it and call it the same thing. And, uh, you know, I've said maybe even to Brother Thompson, when, when fundamentalism and, you know, J. Frank Norris and John R. Rice and Jack Howells and, and you know, when, when really the independent Baptist movement got off the ground in America and started, they'd have big conferences, and in those conferences they had Bible conferences. Back in those days they'd have premillennial Bible conferences. Now I think what instigated that probably was there came a big break from Baylor University where a lot of those guys went to school, and uh, they'd begin teaching amillennialism, and so as a rebuttal to that, they began having premillennial Bible conferences. I heard one fellow say that after Jack Howes had started preaching in his own churches and whatever, that he rented the auditorium at Baylor University. Now, I can't imagine a group of independent Baptists doing that, and I don't have anything to document that, but an evangelist told me that. said that he rented the auditorium at Baylor University, if you're at Waco, and had a premillennial Bible conference. Boy, can you imagine that? Had a premillennial Bible conference right on the campus of an amillennial school. But they said he had it. Now, the word is that at that time, Lester Roloff was not a premillennialist. 
But a preacher got up that night and preached on the premillennial second coming of Jesus Christ. And this evangelist said that when that preacher finished, that Brother Roloff tapped that guy on the knee, tapped that, that preacher friend on the knee and said to him, I just became a premillennialist. And so they had, they had Bible conferences. And then the independent movement began to grow. We started 500 and 1,000 and 2,000. And, and, you know, and there started to be some big churches. And when the churches started getting big, we shifted the emphasis. And we quit having Bible conferences. You don't hear of anybody having Bible conferences anymore. We started having bus conferences. We started having Sunday school conventions. We started having soul-winning conventions. You say, you against buses? No. Uh, you against soul-winning? No, I'm all for it. Uh, you know, whatever you do that's for the cause of Christ, I'm for it. But when we took the emphasis off the Word of God and holiness and living right and doing right and started putting it on the numbers, I think we made a big mistake. <laughs> you know, but nonetheless, we did it. Now, it, and every once in a while when something loses its emphasis, uh, we'll change we call it something else. Now, for a long time, and I think now it's pretty strong. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But there's a lot of leadership conferences going on. I say, what is leadership? Well, the part that I see is where somebody, they find out which way the crowd's going, get in front of them. And, uh, you know, and that's, that don't make you a leader, amen, because you got in front of the crowd. And uh, do you need leaders? Well, God knows we do. And John Maxwell wrote all those books on leadership and all that's good stuff, and that's wonderful, you know. And, and you know, there's different titles that people have put on that stuff. Right now, a thing is discipleship. That's been around for a while. And that's a good thing to have. That's good. I think now at the church they've got some kind of a program where they're one-on-one, -on -one, discipling people, that kind of stuff. But, but let me tell you just in, a, just in a sentence what the purpose of the ministry is to save people. And uh, you can take the discipleship, you can take the leadership, you can take all of it and put it in this basket. Why am I preaching to you tonight? Why do we have discipleship classes? Why do we have any kind of a, of a ministry towards saved people? And here it is. The objective of my preaching tonight is simply to move you closer to God. Amen. That's it. It's just to move you closer to God. Now, if there's anything between you and God, if there's a gap there, we need to find out what it is and get it out of the way. Amen. Now, some of that becomes a little bit of hard, hot preaching, uh, but that needs to be done every once in a while. Amen. I've been standing here wrestling whether to do this or not, but uh, let, me, let me just give you an example. Uh, you know, I was here two or three years ago, and Brother Adam, he got up to a fit about Facebook. I thought, well, that's pretty tough. I never heard anybody do that. But did you know this is probably, I don't know of two churches in the country, I know of two, you know, that don't advocate and push Facebook. I thought, that sounds pretty good. Amen. Uh, but then I got to look, and all the evangelists in the country have got it. I mean, if I name uh, some people out of this church have got it, some of your family members have got it. And, uh, I mean, Facebook, you know, so that's a real good thing. Well, I... Uh, let me talk to you a little bit about it, amen. And uh, but Brother Adam got up, man. I mean, he, I mean, he cranked it up. I said, Amen, man. Isn't that good? Even if I'd have had it, I'd have thought I appreciate a man's got enough guts and grit to do it, amen. And uh, so anyway, I, you know, I, I over the church, we trying to sell them books and you know make money to buy that paper, print them Bibles, and so uh, more people around there. And I guess everybody in our church got it except me, amen. So Chris, remember that now. You get up Wednesday night at freight, lay it in the shade, boy. I mean, go after it, amen. And uh, <laughs> uh, just don't tell the preacher where you learned about it. Now, uh, I, don't, I don't go in and cross a pastor, you know. I don't do that. But uh, still, uh, those, those people, they said, you know, if you had Facebook, 
They said, if you had Facebook, boy, there'd be people all over the country and they'd see the advertising for your books and they'd buy books and so on. I said, no, I don't think so. I'm the old school. I don't want Facebook. And uh, they kept, I mean, numbers of people. They said, well, it'd help you and it'd help you and it'd help you this and help you this. And one of our field reps, Facebook, he said, well, he said, you know. And so finally I broke down. I got me a Facebook. How about that? So I got Facebook. And I thought with Facebook that I would, uh, you know, I'd sell books, you know. I mean, really. And, uh, but I never did sell any books off of it. But I had Facebook. I'm in crowd now. Amen. And, uh, but uh, one day I went on the Facebook account. And I didn't know how that thing worked except I knew this. I knew that, you know, you get a thing that says so-and-so wants to be your friend on Facebook. So you click yes, and they're on there. And then so-and-so wants to be your friend. And, and I thought the more the merrier. Amen. I mean, just sign up everybody. Well, you know, I'm trying to sell books, and I don't care who buys it, amen. I, I'm trying to sell them books. And so uh, one day I went to my Facebook account. I mean, you know, some folks right out of Capital City, you know. I don't think they're here tonight, but, uh, but amen. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. You'd be amazed if I stand here and name the people, uh, good people, amen. And, uh, you know, and uh, so, uh, you know, I mean, good people. It wants to be your friend on Facebook. Chunk it, man. Put him in there, Amen. And so I got me a big list, and, you know, I tried to sign Johnny Pope up. He had more friends than allowed, amen. Uh, and uh, so I tried to get uh, Lou Rossi in there. Man, he had about 2,000 friends. And, uh, and then I thought, surely Dave Young, as well as he preached, man, he ain't going to have it, sure enough, Facebook. Even Brother Scott, uh, Brother uh, 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 Lou Rossi, uh, who did I say while it goes preaching? Brother, who's that guy? Yeah, Curtis Kelly. I thought, man, strong as he ran. Sure enough, Facebook. Sword of the Lord, Facebook. They all got it, man. I mean, they all got it. Amen. Uh, and so I thought, man, this got to be great. Sword of the Lord's got it. I'm in the league. Amen. <laughs> and so anyway, one day I went on my Facebook. I don't know how yours works. I, but over here on the side, they got advertisements, you know, and they encourage you to put your advertisement on there. And uh, that day I was advertising for a nightclub in Las Vegas. I said, well, uh, that don't sound too good, me advertising for that nightclub. Amen. <laughs> And uh, so the next day, I went on my Facebook account, uh, and that day I was advertising, I believe, Sagram 7 liquor or some kind of vodka or something. I was advertising for that. And when I thought, now, ain't that something? And then the next day, I went on my Facebook, and there's a little box showed up right in the, right in the middle of it, and, uh, and it, had, uh, it had three questions. And one of them was, do you think, now here's questions uh, that they have sent, I suppose, I don't know, but uh, supposedly in this little box, here's three questions uh, that uh, they have sent to all these members I've signed up. And one of them is, do you think Jim Fleur is cute? You know. hey. hey, now listen to me, all right? <laughs> well, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have my picture on there. But listen to me. Hey, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Brother Adam, the second question was, uh, would you have sex with Jim Fleur for $10,000? Facebook. He said, well, I got it. Well, you're not in the fruitcake, man. Amen. Somebody said, you're not preaching against it. No, you got, the, you got the shoe on the wrong horse. I went up to North Carolina, tried to pastor a little dead church one time, and I found everybody there using tobacco that taught Sunday school. I got them all together in a meeting one night, and I said, look, here's, you know, we can't, and every one of them started resigning their class. I said, no, wait, 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 wait. you quitting the wrong thing. Amen. Now, that's strange how we get that backwards, isn't it? It's not my fault. Now, I'm not going to quit preaching against it. Amen. So I went to the associate pastor of our church, and I said, man, look. He said, yeah, that's that. He knew how that happened. How did he know that? 
The next day, that little box come up, and there's a name there of a woman used to be in our church. So-and-so has answered one of the questions. Do I want to see your answer? Click here. Did you click there? Not hardly. Now, get this. The next day, I went on Facebook. Now, all these people that have got Facebook, they put their pictures on this stuff, you know. And so one of the women, member of Victory Baptist Church in Milton, Florida. Now, you may think your folks don't commit sin, but it's in all of our churches. Yeah. But anyway, this, this one lady, you know, wanted to be a friend on Facebook. So I signed her up, her up. She got pictures. And I scrolled through about four of them. And there she's standing in a bikini on the beach. You know what? we got a member of our church, and I know what her rear end looks like. I saw it on Facebook. Now, what do you think I think when she comes in church? So I got up in church, preached on it, and I said that, and I said a strange thing about it. She sat here tonight. Wonder how she felt. You said you ought not embarrass her. Get off the beach in a bikini. Wouldn't that be the best thing to do? You say you didn't accomplish anything. There's one visiting missionary came to me that night after I'd knocked that around a little bit, had a little fun with it. And that one missionary came to me. He said, man, there have been all kinds of people wanting me to get on Facebook. He said, I know I ain't going to get it now. I said, amen. Amen. I hit the target. Ain't that right? And Brother Wayne Matheson started a church out of our church out at Crestview. He said, man, I ain't going to get it either. I said, amen. And I preached on it the other night in the mission conference over there at Brother Wayne's church. And one brother came and he said, that, now I cannot verify this, but this Baptist young Baptist boy, he said, we had a youth rally, a youth camp in Alabama. He said, man, God moved in there. And he said, we had six young ladies come and get right with God. And all six of them said uh, they lost their virginity to somebody that they met on Facebook. So, Brother Chris, go after it. Amen. What he don't clean up, Brother Ben, you get it. Amen. Now, I don't know that you ought to do that, but you ought not have Facebook. Amen. So I don't even know, Brother Adam, how to take that stuff off, how to get rid of that stuff. I don't know how to do it. So I went in. The girl works for me in the office. I told her, I said, Marlene, unsubscribe me from Facebook. She said, well, you ought to give it a little time. I said, I ought to will. Give it 15 minutes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, brother, you're a radical, but you're right. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's what he's trying to do. Trying to get you closer to God. See, we're trying to get all the all the chinks out, you know, out so we get you closer to God. Our objective is not to make anybody mad or hate anybody, but we are in desperate need of individuals uh, that have a personal relationship with God. You know what discipleship is? It's to sit down with you with the Word of God and teach you the Bible and teach you how to live uh, and how to know God uh, and have a personal relationship with Him. That's what it's about. That's my job tonight is to preach to you in such a way that if there is one thing between you and God, uh, we need to get it out of the way. Now somebody, you know, worked on that Facebook and they said, all right, if you don't go on it for 14 days, you're off. So I guess I'm off. I ain't been on it 14 days couple of months. I mean, somebody gave the indication I still got a Facebook account. I wouldn't know. But if I do, you know, you'll be the only one who looks at it. There's anything bad on there, I didn't put it on there. Amen. I don't go to it. Amen. Well, all right. All right. <laughs> a personal relationship with God. Amen. Look at Exodus chapter number 20. 
Exodus chapter number 20. And in Exodus chapter number 20, when, when Moses went on the mountain and got the Ten Commandments, and the Lord shook the earth. And the Bible said in Exodus 20 and verse number 18, And all the people saw the thunderings uh, and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet uh, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Now, I'm not going to preach it in its context tonight because the reason they said that was out of fear. But nonetheless, they said, we'll hear you, uh, but we do not want to hear from God. And you know what I believe we have in fundamental Baptist churches in America? We've got congregations sitting there uh, that heard from God through Brother Thompson Sunday morning or, or Sunday night or any other time or an evangelist that come through, uh, but never heard from God personally on your own. You need a personal relationship with God. Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us. You know what preaching is? It's to get you to the place where you can hear from God. Does God use a preacher? Do you need a preacher? You need one. I went out and tried to, Brother Hank told me, he said, Oh, Brother Tony out there, he needs some counsel. Go out and talk with him. Well, I went and talked with him and found out he's better shape than me. Amen. And, uh, man, I come back, and he said, uh, he rejected everything I said and said, I'm just going to let my pastor be my eyes. I remember that. That meant a lot to me. Brother Hank with his eyes. Wasn't that good? Yeah. Amen. I should have went out and let him cancel me. Amen. <laughs> but anyway, you know what? Just like he said, he's going to be my eyes. You need a preacher. You need somebody to help you alone. You need somebody to guide you and direct you. And the goal of that preacher is to get you to the place to where uh, that if he drops dead, uh, you'll keep on going. If he checks out, if he quits, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, you have a personal relationship with God. Now let me illustrate that in the book of Job. Go to Job chapter number 3. Job chapter number 3. And in Job chapter number 3, we've already gone through the basic details of him losing everything that he lost, 11,000 animals, 10 children, I don't know, grandchildren or not, lost all of his wealth, his finances. He's sitting in an ash heap with a potsherd scraping himself. Uh, his wife has flipped out and said, Curse God and die. Do you still retain your integrity? And normally what happens when we read, especially the first chapter of Job, uh, we put him on a pedestal and talk about what a great man of God Job was. Well, I admire his integrity, but it was just exactly that. It was his integrity. And in chapter number 3, let's begin there. Job made a bad mistake. And it said in Job chapter 3, verse 1, after this, Job opened his mouth. Bad move. You know what me and you both do? We talk too much. You know where we get in trouble? It's with our tongue. You remember that snake that came out of that fire? He was a vehement viper, and he latched on to the Apostle Paul. He shook him off and felt no harm. And you know what? You've got religious snakes all over the world, and they're going to attack you. You know how they do it? God said, touch not mine anointed, do my prophets no harm. And the snake touches with his tongue. You know, just shake it off. Don't worry about it. They're out there. But you know what we've got to do? But... We talk back. Amen. 
You're going to get in trouble with your tongue. I'm not afraid of anybody shooting me or beating me or whatever. I'm not in fear of that. But I'll do what they will do. They will talk about you. You know. And if you're not careful, you'll talk about them. And we're always right. We can find a way to justify ourselves. And so in Job 3, 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. And here's what Job said. Job spake and said that the day perished when I was born, and the night in which it was said there is a man-child conceived, uh, that that day be darkness, let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Now, wait a minute, Job. Uh, you cannot dictate to God. You weren't born at the wrong time. God determined that, not you. And you know what Job's saying? He's saying to God. He's talking to God. He's saying, God, go back to my birthday and let it be a day of darkness and not light. That's verse 5. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined into the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Lo, let that night be solitary. solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up the morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof dark. Let it look for light but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day. You know what he said? God, I want you to take a yearly planner. I want you to take a big calendar and mark a black X on my birthday. Don't let the birds sing that day. Don't let the moon come out that night. Don't let the sun shine. Don't let the stars twinkle. Don't let a joyful noise be heard therein. Make it a black day, my birthday. That's what he asked God to do. You know what God said? Nothing. You know the worst thing that happened to you? It's for God to leave you alone. You know one of the things, Brother Adam, we fear is God will not speak to us. But I'm down over nine sermons wondering which one to pray, uh, preach and God don't say nothing. Now that's an agonizing thing. And you come to church and you've got two in your Bible. You've got one in your coat pocket, whatever. And you've got all these thoughts going through your mind. And you can't get the mind of God. If God will only speak and let you know what to preach like he did me tonight, what a joy. Isn't it a blessing? Well, when God shuts somebody up and they just walk with faith and no feeling, I like to have a little touch of God every once in a while. And you know what Job wanted to do? He wanted to hear from God, but he wanted to do the talking. He wanted to have a one-sided conversation, and he wanted to talk to God. But you know what God said to him in chapter number 3? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, you get to chapter number 4. You know what Job does? He's talking. You know what God says to him? Nothing. When you get to chapter 5, Job's talking. And you know what God said? Nothing. When you get to chapter number 6, look at verse 1. But Job answered and said, and he talks to God, and he says this in verse number 8. Oh, he's talking to God. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand uh, and cut me off. Now, he's in a pretty much of a despondent situation, praying for God to kill him and let him die. You know what God said? Nothing. Not a word. Why won't God talk to Job? Chapter number 7, Job's talking. But you know what God said? Nothing. And Job is so desperate to hear from God and get an answer. And he said in verse number 11, Therefore I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I am a sea or a whale that thou settest to watch over me. 
When verse 13 come up, I thought, my soul, how can a man be so despondent? When he said, I, my, when I say, my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint. You know what he says? In the daylight hours, there was no comfort for me. I long for the night when at least I can go to sleep and get a little ease. And he's talking to God. But he said, about the time that I say, I'll get a little sleep and a little rest, and my, my complaint shall be eased. He said in verse 14, Then thou scarest me with dreams, and terrifiest me through visions. He said, God, isn't it enough that you terrify me of the day, but when I go to bed at night, you give me nightmares. I can't sleep. And he said, It's so bad, in verse number 15, So that my soul chooses strangling, and death rather than life, I loathe it. You loathe what? Life. You know what the New Testament said? He that will love life and see good days. I love life. I've seen good days. But you cannot have a life that's enjoyable and see good days in rebellion toward God. So Job said, I loathe that I would not live all way. Let me alone for my days are vanity. Oh, my soul, I, I will never pray to God to let me alone. I want him to meet me in that motel in the morning when I get on my knees and pray uh, and I read the Word of God. I want God to meet with me. And I get up in my house at 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 or whatever time it be. It be in the morning. I move my office to my home uh, and I go back and close that door and get that Bible down uh, and read that Word of God after about seven, eight chapters, and then get under and start praying. Uh, man, I'm telling you, sometimes God gets in that room with me, uh, and I, I, I dread to think that God will never speak to me and never meet with me. Job said, Oh, God, leave me alone. That's a tragic situation. Verse 9, chapter 9, verse 1, Job answered and said, He's still talking. Chapter 10, Job's still talking. He said in the last part of verse 1, I will speak in the... Bitterness of my soul, I will say unto God. What are you going to say to him? Well, verse 15, if I be wicked, warn of me, and if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head, I am full of confusion. Therefore see thou mine, afflict, mine affliction. And he goes down in verse number 20 and said, Are not my days few? Cease then, and let me alone, that I may take comfort a little. You know where Job's at. Now I know you got all this kick about Job's greatest man to ever live, and you need to be like him. Just listen to me read these verses tonight. You know what Job's doing in chapter number 10? He said, I don't know what's going on. But you know the Lord looketh on the heart. We look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And God knows. If he, if he talks to Job, you know what he knows? He knows that then will I present my arguments. Job said that. God knows. Job's not listening. All Job wants is to get the ear of God. He wants to tell God how bad it is and get God to agree with him. And God won't speak. Job said, I'm full of confusion. I don't know what's going on. And he asked God the second time, let me alone. Let me alone. You know what Job does in chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10? He talks. God, he said a word. What's the purpose of the ministry? It's to get you where you can hear from God. Why am I preaching tonight? Let's get the chunks out. Let's close the gap so you can hear from God. I mean, you get off in the remote regions of the world somewhere, like the sin. You get down to Uganda, or like you know those boys, the wells in New Guinea, or uh, some of those guys. And you get back in the bush somewhere. I mean, you walk two or three days to get in there, and there's a tragedy. You need to get a hold of God. You can't get a hold of the pastor to take care of things. You need to get a hold of God. 
God don't say nothing. Chapter 11 and 12, God don't say anything. In chapter 13, God won't talk to him. Chapter 14, God won't talk to him. Chapter 15, God doesn't say a word. Chapter 16, then Job answered and said, and God won't talk. Chapter 17, 18, 19, Job answered and said, and God won't talk. Chapter 20, God won't talk. Chapter 21, Job answered and said, but God won't talk. Chapter 22, God doesn't say anything. Chapter 23, then Job answered and said, but God won't talk to him. Chapter 24, God doesn't say anything. Chapter 25, God doesn't say anything. Chapter 26, God doesn't say anything. Chapter 30, God doesn't say anything. Oh, you know you're right. You just can't get the preacher to agree with you. You come for counseling. And five minutes into it, you say, well, but you might as well cancel the session. As long as you've got comebacks. See? And God knows just as sure as he responds to Job's request, Job's going to say, but. He's going to tell something God he didn't know. Tell God something he didn't know. He's, all, he's, he's already got this reasoned out. See? And when that verse in chapter 3, verse 1, thus Job opened his mouth and spake. You know what he does? I'll tell you what he does. He goes for 29 chapters, and God doesn't say a word. And I'd like for you to look tonight at chapter number 31 in the last six words. And it said, the words of Job are ended. I wouldn't be surprised if he don't get some help right about now. Amen. He's through talking. No more argument. Job's the end of himself. Now, what happens when God gets Job to that place? Now, you say, why wouldn't God speak? Teachers don't talk while they're giving tests. Why wouldn't God speak? He wasn't ready to listen. He's talking. The words of Job are ended. Then look at chapter 32, verse 2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu. Now that's the first time Elihu shows up. You know who Elihu is? He's the man of God that God has sent to preach to Job. But he didn't send him until Job's ready to listen. Did you know what? God sent a preacher in your life. But you might need to go to the hospital and get your kidney took out before you're going to listen. You might have to get terminal cancer before you listen. I mean, God may have to lay you on your back before you'll ever look up. He may have to give you financial bankruptcy. I don't know what he might have to do before you're ready to listen. See? But God puts a man in your path to preach to you. What's that man going to do? He's going to close the gap between you and God so you don't need him. You have a personal relationship with God. Does that mean he's no longer pastor? It does not mean he's no longer pastor. But it does mean that you do not have to go through him to get to God. See? Did you know it's very possible for people to learn the Bible as well as the pastor? You probably haven't. Do you know it's very, very possible for people to sit in the pew and have the preaching ability that the pastor has? It's, it's very possible that somebody could sit in that pew and, and have teaching skills and teaching abilities that would surpass the pastor. Now, there's a danger in that because a lot of times they might get to thinking they are the pastor. No, you're not the pastor. That's the pastor. And that pastor is here to get you to where you and have a personal relationship with God. You can pray for your own family. You can witness to your own neighbors. You can stand for God and encourage your work, 
associates, whatever. You have a personal relationship with God. And regardless of what your pastor does, you're not going to waver. You live for God, you see. And so Elihu comes on the scene in chapter 32, and it's more of an introduction to his sermon in chapter 32. And then when he gets into it in chapter 33, Elihu says this to Job, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. Behold, now I have opened my mouth, my tongue has spoken in my mouth, my words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. If thou canst answer me, set thy words on order before me. Stand up. You know what he said, Job? Uh, if you got any more arguments, uh, here's your last shot. Let's hear about it. He didn't say a word. He's ready to listen. Like you want to make sure. Now, Job, you got him, you, I mean, you've been talking 29 chapters. All right, you got anything else to say? You got any more arguments? Is there any more reason why that you ought to have your request like you asked back? He don't say anything. Elijah said, all right. Since you don't have any more to say, he said in verse number 6, now don't you ever forget this. He said to Elihu, behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. You know what that means? I'm a man of God. That's what it means. And you have had a man of God fill this pulpit from the day this church started. And when he passed on to glory, he handed the torch and the mantle to a young man that's a man of God. Now that man of God is not just walking up here at his own choosing and filling the pulpit and entertaining you three times a week. You say, what's he doing? He's closing the gap between you and God. So you can have a personal relationship. You can hear from God. But if you're not careful, you get in the place that Job was. Speak thou with us like they were in Exodus 20. Speak thou with us and we will hear. Brother Adam is a great preacher, amen, and he is. Speak thou with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. Discipleship, leadership, I don't care what you call it. All of it's good. But it's a personal relationship with God. So, you know what Elihu did? He wasn't intimidated about it because it wasn't his choosing. It was God's choosing. I'm according to thy wish in God's stead. You know what I am? I'm a man of God. I'm not here tonight just to blow hot air. I'm here to tell you about God. Now, that make me somebody? No, he goes on to say, I also am formed out of the clay, just like you are. But God called me. God commissioned me. God counted me worthy, putting me into the ministry. I'm a man of God. Does that make me special? No, but it does mean that I've got a message from the Lord. And so he said, Job, he said, I'm here in God's stead. I'm the man of God. I also formed out of the clay. I said, Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. Now, I don't understand that because when I read the following verses, his hand certainly was heavy upon him. Man, you talk about hot preaching. I mean, you think you've heard it here. You know what? He said to Job in verse number 8, Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing. He said, Now, Job, I'm not talking about a bunch of gossip like they do on Facebook. He said, I'm not talking about that. I heard David Gibbs say the other day, more, more women use Facebook than men. And somebody said, Women gripe and gossip more. He said, They really don't. They're just better at it. <laughs> 
That's about right, isn't it? Oh, get over it. You ain't, you know. <laughs> Go in the bathroom, suck your thumb a while, and get over it. <laughs> I tell you what, if you wait for me to quit preaching on this stuff, you, I mean, you. <laughs> <laughs> you know something else? You're another rabbit. I believe I catch him for a hurry. There's nothing always bothering me that we preach against sins that are not sitting here. Well, how are they going to know to quit it if you don't? You've got to preach on it while they're there. <laughs> Isn't that right? We preach on the ones down the road in the next church. We don't, no, preach on the ones sitting there. Amen. <laughs> but anyway, like you said, Job, here's what I heard you say. Now, I heard you say it. You've spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words saying, I'm clean without transgression, I'm innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Job, I heard you say that. And I heard you say, Job, that behold, he findeth occasion against me, he counted me for his enemy, he putteth my feet in the stocks, he marketh all my ways. He said, Job, behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man, why dost thou strive against him? Now, Job, I heard you say, I heard you say that you're righteous without transgression. And I heard you accuse God of punishing you unjustly. I heard you say that. Now, Job, I'm going to tell you right off. God's greater than man. All men, every man, you, me, anybody else. And I'm going to tell you also, Job, that he giveth not account of any of his matters. Now, whatever he does, Job, is right. Now, you can complain about it all you want to, and you can gripe and fuss, but all you do when you do that is you shut off communication between you and him. But I heard you say it. And, man, that's awful when we get up and preach on the stuff that we heard people say. I heard you say it. I saw you on Facebook. I looked at you. I know what your rear end looks like. I mean, you know, if you want to look at thighs and breasts, go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. Amen. <laughs> Well, <laughs> amen. Ah, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Job, I heard you say it. He said, Job, you're not right. Job, you're wrong as you can be. We're in chapter 34. Elihu still preaching. In fact, he preaches six points. We call them chapters. But he preaches six point sermons smoking all the way through. But, buddy, he ain't Job alive. He burnt his height. He tore him from head to foot. You know what Job said? Not a word. For that, he took all six points. He took it verse by verse by verse by verse. I mean, Elihu singled him out. It's like if you got 400 people sitting in here, he put his finger on Job's nose and Job, Job, I heard you say. And he told him what he heard him say. And he preached to him. And Job never one time said, well, you don't understand my environment. You don't know how I was raised. You don't, you don't understand my situation. He never one time rebelled at the way Elihu preached at him. He, I heard Jack Wood say one time, no, Danny Farley say one time. Jack said, Danny, come in here and sit in the office while I counsel this couple. They'd come from another church somewhere. They wanted Brother Jack to counsel. And they said, uh, they went in, Brother Jack said, what can I do for y'all? The woman said, well, Brother Wood, said, uh, I've been having an affair. 
Brother Jack said, well, I guess that's all right. She said, Brother Wood. He said, well, the Bible don't say nothing about it. I guess that's okay. She said, Brother Wood, you don't understand. I've been having an affair. He said, well, I'm telling you, the Bible don't say nothing about that. She said, Brother Wood, and my husband, he's been having an affair. He said, I'm telling you, the Bible don't say anything about it. I guess okay. And she said, but Brother Wood, I mean, I've been having an affair with a man, not my husband. My husband's been having an affair with a woman, not me. Brother Wood said, I'm telling you that the Bible don't say nothing about having an affair. Now, if you're trying to tell me you're an old whore, and this thing you've got with you is a whoremonger, now the Bible does say something about that. <laughs> Danny said they got mad left. <laughs> <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah. With no generalities, with no political correctness, he fixed it so they could understand. And that's exactly what Elihu's doing. Job, here's what I heard you say. You said this. You said this. And it says down here in chapter 34, Elihu's still preaching. And it said in verse 5. Now, I'm just picking out certain phrases. You go back. You read a six-chapter sermon, buddy, and it's smoking all the way. I mean, he put it across the plate waist high with smoke on it. Amen. And it said in verse 5 of Job 34, Job has said, I am righteous. God has taken away my judgment. Job said in verse number 9, Elihu said, I heard you say, for he has said, Job, it profiteth man nothing that he should delight himself in God. He said, I'm a good Christian. Where would he get me? Hmm. You get down to chapter number 34, look at verse number 35. And Elihu said, Job was spoken without knowledge, and his words were without wisdom. He said, Job, you didn't know what you was talking about. Chapter 37, for he addeth rebellion unto his sin. He clapped his hands among us and multiplieth his words against God. Look at this, chapter number 35. Elihu spake more and said, Man, I like this guy, Elihu. But he's from the old school. I mean, there's a preacher and a half, amen. That's a man of God. And in chapter number 35, Elihu spake more and said, Job, thinkest thou this to be right, that thou saidest my righteousness is more than God's? For thou saidest, What advantage will it be unto thee? And what profit shall I have if I be cleansed in my sin? Pretty rough. Chapter 35, Job doesn't rebel. Chapter 36, Job doesn't rebel. Chapter 37, Job doesn't rebel. Now, what's the objective of Elihu? When Elihu came on the scene, he came on the scene with a man who could not hear from God like you may be here tonight. You haven't felt the touch of God. You say you believe in feeling. I sure do. I believe compassion is a feeling. I believe love and tenderness and joy and happy. I believe that's something. There's some people you got in the mix a little bit during Sunday morning or Sunday night. Speak that with us. It's wonderful. But going down the highway in your automobile, you ain't felt the touch of God in no telling how long. In your own closet at home, if you got one, you haven't felt the touch of God. You don't have that personal relationship with God. And Job went all those chapters, just living it on his own, self-righteousness, God said, well, when I get him to the end of himself to where he's ready to listen, I'm going to send a man of God into his life to preach to him. And when that man of God shows Job where the problem's at and gets him cleaned up, then I won't need the man of God any longer. It'll just be me and him. And so when you get to the chapter, end of the chapter 37, Elihu's finished. 
He's done what he's supposed to do. Chapter 38 and verse 1 said, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, God takes over now. And he starts teaching Job some stuff. When God takes over, he said, I think I'll let Job know how great I am. And he asked him 40 questions. Job couldn't answer any of them. He gets to chapter 39, he asked him 30, uh, 19 more questions. And Job couldn't answer any of them. He got to chapter 40, asked him six questions. Job couldn't answer one of them. Get to chapter 41, he asked him 20 questions. Job couldn't answer them. 42 was a question. But finally, Job speaks. And in chapter 42, verse 1, the Lord, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, have I understood, uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not? You know what Job did? Now, you've got to realize this setting. You know who he was? He was the philosopher of the ages. People had hard questions that came to Job, and he had the answers for them. But you know what he says now? I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm totally ignorant. See, when God showed him how great he was, in contrast to that, Job was humbled now. And Job says down in verse number 45, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. And he had. You say when? When his pastor preached Sunday morning. When the evangelist came through Sunday night. When the missionary came off the field and gave report. He heard of him by the hearing of the ear. But it had to be a second-hand knowledge. But Job said, but now, mine eye seeth thee. You know what that is? That's an understanding. He came to have a personal relationship with God. Do you have that? If you don't have that, what's stopping it? When your pastor preaches and comes down real hard on something, do you kind of mm, cringe at it and in your mind you justify it a little bit? You're not going to have the personal relationship with God. You're going to need it. But you won't have it. I'm here tonight to help you get the distractions out. Get the clinches out. Get everything clean. And move you up one notch closer to God. And let me tell you what you ought to do tonight. If you're here, and Brother Thompson's preached, now, you wouldn't dare voice it because you know how people love the preacher and his family here. And, and you know, you've got a great spiritual heritage and his dad pastored here. And you know if you voiced it, it wouldn't be good. But yet in your heart, you'd like to voice it. You'd like to say it. You know what you ought to do? You ought to just go ahead and be like Job and just shut up. Swallow your pride. Come to your preacher tonight and say, Preacher, I'm not following you fully. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. By the grace of God, you're going to be my eyes. You never know, God may start talking to you again. You may start hearing from the Lord. But how desperately we need that Christian growth to get you to where you have that personal relationship with God. It's about nice clothes. Father, thank you tonight for the Word of God.
And I know a little about you. I don't know a lot, but I know a little. <laughs> I do know you do speak to me. I'm so grateful. Lord, a moment in thy presence, just a quick touch of your hand, and just you make me weep. My heart beats fast. I swallow hard. And just to feel the touch of the Spirit of God, I would take a world for that. I heard old Jacob preaching up down in Statesville, North Carolina, I believe, in that conference with me. And that night, this, that boy broke down and wept, giving a little bit of his testimony in tears, talked about the touch of God, said I would take a million dollars for it. Neither would I. But sometimes we let the little insignificant things, our pride, our self-righteousness, our own opinions, so many things, stand between us and a personal relationship with the Lord. Sometimes just a little resentment toward the man of God and what you put him here. And it's his job to get all the glitches out and get us to where we have that personal relationship. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.